That was the evil Janus, and uh, it, it was a good plan. Uh, stall, stall, stretch it out. And then uh, Jody said, preach, just start preaching. So, <laughs> I'm going to talk about Greg. <sighs> okay. Transition time. Uh, we're talking about the discipleship of the mind and uh, how crucial that is. Taking every thought captive to Christ. If we don't take the mind captive, we're still held captive. Uh, our, the vision statement of our church says this. We uh, seek to be. Our goal is to be. Here's our vision. Everything we do has got to come under this vision. To be a community of spiritually empowered people who reflect God's love and advance God's kingdom in St. Paul and the surrounding area and to the world as the Lord leads. Working hand in hand with other expressions of the body of Christ, such as we saw during the ministry moment, until all have reached fullness in Christ. And the area of that vision statement that we're addressing now, in fact, we've been addressing it throughout the whole discipleship series, is, is about uh, being a community of spiritually empowered people. Because as long as we are, uh, have microchips planted in our brain from the matrix of this world, if you've been here for any length of time, you know what I'm talking about there. As long as, to the extent that we are conformed to the pattern of this world and held in bondage to lies that we have internalized, uh, to that degree, we can't be the full embodied, uh, empowered people of God that God calls us to be. And so what we're doing here this last uh, two months or so, as we've been talking about uh, getting free in our mind, is uh, about getting out of the matrix, amen? It's about getting set free. It's about uh, taking authority over the things that are in our mind and, and uh, uh, setting the kingdom up, having the kingdom be established between our ears. Um, so uh, this morning I want to uh, focus in on Proverbs chapter 4. This, uh, we have rarely gotten as detailed as we're getting in this series. Uh, it's, it's very much of a teaching stuff. It's, it's not so much the motivational thing as it is just teaching that equips us and empowers us to have authority between our ears, to set up the kingdom there. Uh, some of this today will be review. Some of it will be new. But I want to take a unique angle on this. Here's a verse we've looked at before, but we've never really uh, thoroughly uh, explored it. It's Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where the author says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Above all else, of highest priority, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. I want to pray for this message, and can I, can I get some people around the auditorium who will just uh, keep the message covered in prayer as it's going forth? So sprinkle in your listening uh, with some prayer. Amen. Thanks. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray, God, that this message would have uh, your authority, not mine. Uh, God, authority to uh, change the way we frame the world on our inside. We pray, God, that you would use this to set the captives free. More specifically, Lord, use it to, to get us out of this matrix and to begin to, to walk in the full identity that we have in Jesus Christ and be walking in truth and thinking in truth and feeling the truth, Lord God. Use this message to help us to see the world as you see it and to feel about the world as you feel it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. A couple things about this verse. Um, the author says, above all else, clearly this is of highest priority. He says, we're to guard our heart. Now the word guard there in Hebrew, natsar, uh, it means to guard, to protect, to oversee, or to govern, to be vigilant towards. 
Our job is to vigilantly govern, oversee, protect our heart. The concept of heart in the Bible, we often, when we think of heart, we think of just emotions. Uh, the Bible has, I think, a much more profound and actually more accurate uh, understanding because in the Bible, the heart was seen as being the seat not only of emotions but also of thoughts. So you find a lot of passages in the Bible that talk about hiding wisdom in your heart, uh, seeking the knowledge of God in your heart. They saw, and we'll see in the, shortly that this is in fact true, uh, that all of our thoughts have an emotional component to it, and all of our emotions have, enough, have a thought component. Uh, you, you can't divide those two. And so when the author says that we're to govern, vigilantly govern, protect, uh, oversee our heart, he's talking about our thoughts and our emotions. Now, in, in the past couple of weeks, I've talked about uh, taking thoughts captive to Christ. What I want to do uh, this morning is talk about our emotions. How do you take our emotions captive, our feelings captive? How do you govern feelings? How do you control feelings? And if thoughts are difficult to control, feelings are, at least as we experience it usually, almost impossible. How do you control anger? Uh, is there an on switch to that and an off switch to that? Uh, have you ever been in the middle of anger, you know, and, and you're having a hissy fit over something, and maybe it's something really stupid, and you wish you weren't having a hissy fit over it, but you're having one, and someone comes along and says, stop being angry? It's like, excuse me, where's the off button on that one? When you're angry, you're angry. You can't just, it's not the kind of thing you can just will away. Did you ever see the, that Saturday Night Live uh, guy, Dita? Dita? This is the time on Sprockets, when we dance. Uh, Dita? I hope my name's Dita. Uh, he has this little shtick, this is about five, six years old, where he says, I think I'm going to be angry. There, I'm angry. <laughs> it's funny because that's not how we do anger. Uh, you know, anger, anger comes to us. We don't like choose it. We don't choose to get into it. We don't choose to get out of it. And so it is with all emotions. You know, you're depressed. Stop being depressed. You're jealous of somebody. Stop being jealous. Uh, there's not an on switch and an off switch there. Emotions don't seem to be the kind of things that are uh, subject to our will. We just can't will ourselves into them and will ourselves out of them. Start having loving emotions towards your spouse. And your market said, go, turn them on. It doesn't work like that. Uh, you know, start, let's all get excited about Jesus Christ. Uh, on count of three. One, two, three. We're excited. Well, see, what we normally mean when we talk about controlling emotions is... Uh, control our behaviors. Uh, when you're angry, control your behavior about your anger. And that's a good thing, but it's not controlling your anger. When you're angry, don't say mean things and don't throw dishes. And we call that controlling our anger. And, that, you know, that, that is self-control, but you haven't really addressed the anger itself. What we really mean is, uh, of course, you're going to still have your anger, but, but just don't let it show. Uh, a lot of times we, when we talk about, uh, you know, controlling depression or whatever, what we're talking about is do a behavior that actually hides the emotion. And that's not necessarily bad, but if that's all we do, we haven't transformed people. You're not transformed on the inside. In fact, if that's all we do, and unfortunately that's all that is usually done, is we, 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 we develop a culture of professional pretenders where when we're not feeling loving, we, we, we say we love. And when we're not feeling peaceful, we act peaceful. And we're not feeling joyful, we act joyful. And we, know how, we, we stuff all of the out-of-control emotions that we and everybody ha everyone else has, and we put on a display of behavior that hides that. The Bible here assumes that we can do more than that. It talks about controlling our emotions, governing our feelings, guarding our heart. Uh, a person I knew several years ago, uh, I, I felt terrible for her because she was in such a conundrum. 
and I think we can all relate to this. Uh, her story was this. She was uh, uh, in a marriage. They, they had a great courtship, had a great engagement. You know, there's love and passion and, and fun and excitement. And then as soon as she gets married, and this actually happens more frequently than we'd like, uh, as soon as she gets married, she loses all of her feelings towards her husband. And the poor husband's sitting there w- wondering, what happened to this passionate, fun, loving wife that I had? And uh, she just is, is flat towards him. Now, they were married for six years, but all the while, she's, she's, uh, marriage was boring to her. Marriage was just dead. It was lifeless. There's nothing there. And so she's walking around with a hungry heart. And what happens when a person's walking around with a hungry heart is they'll meet another person uh, that they think can meet that hunger. And so she finds another person who also has a hungry heart, and they fall passionately in love. They have the excitement. They have, you know, the, the fireworks going on. Now she, and so she's pulled towards a relationship with him. She knows she's got the information that she ought to stay in the marriage, uh, but she's pulled into a, uh, she's feeling emotionally pulled into a relationship with this, th- th- this guy. And you could say to her, don't go there, just will, just by sheer willpower, go back to the marriage. And that'd be a good thing to say, and she ought to go back to the marriage, even though all of her emotions are going in a different direction. But even if she goes back to the marriage, would you call that a transformed marriage? Would you call that a God-glorifying marriage? You see, as long as her emotions aren't invested there, her emotions are pulling her in a different direction, well, you know, she's got the willpower to go there perhaps, but it's not a God-glorifying marriage. It's not a transformed marriage. The question is, is how can we help this young lady to actually learn to love her husband and not love this other person? Can we do that? And the Bible seems to suggest that we can. Now, the question is, how do we do that? And I'm going to here give five facts, which if we understand them and if we apply them, I think uh, empower us to control our emotions, to change our feelings. Okay, fact number one. Fact number one. Feelings are just chemical reactions in the brain. That's all they are. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. Feelings that I've lost you. How's that song go? Barry Manilow. Uh, feelings, they feel so big. They feel so real. They feel so authentic. They feel like they're just, you know, bigger than us. All they are is a little stupid chemical reaction in the brain. It just, I, they're, they're microscopic, and they happen at one three thousandth of a second. This is a picture of one of them. We've seen this picture before if you've been here for a while. This is a picture of, a, 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 of anger. This is what anger looks like uh, in, on a CAT scan. The person's having an angry emotion. It's a chemical firing in the brain. A trigger happened, and boom, uh, they... Their neural nets fire on one another in a particular pattern that is experienced as anger. Neural nets have two components to them. And this is why the Bible is so profound. Thousands of years before uh, neuroscience uh, proved this, uh, the Bible had this awareness. There's two sides to a neural net. On the one hand, as we experience it from the inside, this is what it looks like from the outside, but as we experience it from the inside, there is, happening at one three thousandths of a second, a word, a picture, a memory, some vivid representation, uh, some, something of the, uh, of the real world is, is replicated inside the, 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 the mind, and then there's an emotional response to it. So this person, I don't know what they were angry about, but let's just suppose something, someone said something. It was a trigger. They've been programmed to respond to a trigger in a certain way. It causes a chemical reaction just like that in their brain. And what they see all of a sudden, let's suppose, is their father uh, shaming them and, and uh, maybe beating them up. And it causes them to be angry. They are, for all intents and purposes, right here in this neural net, a five-year-old who is who's angry at their father. They see the picture and they feel the emotion. They go hand in hand. Thoughts and feelings are are always together. 
Every thought you have, every memory that you have, every anticipation that you have, everything that goes on in your head has a thought to it, a representation to it, and also has an emotional response to it. Emotions are just the chemical reactions in our brain. They feel so big. They feel so controlling, but it's just a firecracker going off in response to a trigger. All feelings, all emotions are responses not to what's outside of you, but to something that you're displaying inside of you. That's how it works. In fact, the feeling is part of what you're displaying inside of you. Fact number two, and this is an important one. We are wired to feel positive about good representations in our head and negative about bad representations in our head. We are, we, the, the impulse is to move towards the good and move away from the, ba- uh, the bad. That's just how the brain is wired. That's part of our God design. The brain's job is to tell us to move towards something and move away from something. It's just a computer that God gave us to navigate in the world, and this is how it does it. It represents something as good, we feel drawn towards it. It represents something as bad, we are drawn away from it. You're going to reach for some salt over the stove, you notice the stove is on, and boom, you get a picture, a a memory of being burned by a hot stove at the age of three, so you pull back from it. That's a good thing. The brain's just, just doing its job. It's warning us, wait a minute, hot stove, you can get burned there. You see, so you have a, 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 an instinct to move away from it. You're thinking about going shopping. You get a picture in your head of how nice it would be to have a, uh, this is a good thing, a full refrigerator. The kids are eating. The kids are happy. Uh, you know, then you feel like going shopping. The brain just flashes things positively or negatively to cause emotions which, which, which lead us to something or away from something. But the third fact is this. Our brain doesn't come with a built-in program about what really is good and really is bad. The brain needs to be programmed on this. When we're born or after about one year of life, the hardwiring in our organic computer between our ears, the hardwiring is there, but the software is not. That's got to be installed. And life is the process of installing the programs, the microchips, if you will. The brain will flash what is good as good, what is bad as bad, as it's been programmed to. It doesn't itself know what is actually good or bad. It just does what it's told to do. It's a program. It's a computer. And so it just runs obediently based on what it's been told. Whatever it represents as good, you're going to feel an emotional pull toward, towards it. That's how you're wired. Whatever it represents as bad, you're going to feel an emotional pull towards that. But the, the brain doesn't know if it's really good or really bad. It just represents things as it's been told. If you were raised in Nazi Germany and you were, had a program installed in you that, that Jews were subhuman, that it was uh, good to be away from them, you're going to feel a pull towards that. Even though that's an evil thing, your brain will represent it as a good thing. If, if you uh, have been conditioned, programmed by the matrix of this world to, to uh, represent in your mind pornography as a good thing, you're going to have a pull towards that. You may have the information that it's not a good thing. In fact, you do have the information that it's not a good thing, but the brain doesn't respond to information. It responds to the concrete representations in our, in our head. Concrete things move us, evoke emotions that lead to behavior. Information alone does not. If I think about my wife right now, some facts about her, five foot this, weighs this much, is this old, you know, all those other, you know, just facts about her, that doesn't move me. It's just facts. could be facts about really anybody. But if I get a concrete picture of her in my mind and and have a positive image there, it evokes emotions out of me. It's the concrete stuff in our head, what we see, what we hear, what we sense, that moves us. And uh, the the, the mind just does it as it's been programmed to do it. Uh, It doesn't itself know. If, If you see greed 
as something, you know, acquiring more things. If you've installed the message of this culture that that is, uh, you know, that life and worth and value is found in acquiring a lot of things, well, you're going to have an emotional pull towards getting a lot of things. You'll always find yourself spending more than you ought to spend. That's why those programs are installed there by the culture, to get us to be spendaholics. If you frame it as a negative thing, well, then you're going to have an emotional pull away from it. The brain doesn't itself know what is good or evil. It just represents things as good or evil depending on what it's been uh, programmed to. If, if, if you've been conditioned by the matrix of this world to construe in your mind uh, images about the Christian life following Jesus that, are, that, that have the message that this is a, it's a boring thing, it's a religious thing, it's a duty thing, it's just an obligation thing. There's no fun in it, there's no joy in it, there's no passion in it. Christians are killjoys. If that's your representation of the Christian life, well, you're going to have an emotional uh, uh, feeling to move away from that. You may still go to church uh, uh, out of obedience because you believe it's true, but you're not going to have any passion in it. You, 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 your, your emotions won't be invested in it. But if you have or someone else has installed programs that represent living the Christian life as fun and exuberant and abundant life and, and joyful, well, then, then, then you, there's an emotional pull to get involved in that. Uh, your, your emotions will be behind it. The brain doesn't itself know automatically what is good or what is evil. It needs to be told that, which leads to the fourth point. Sadly, our brain is mostly controlled. Governed, it's overseen by the matrix. We, on the whole, in this fallen world, we don't oversee our heart. We don't govern our heart. We don't protect our heart. Our heart is largely governed by mom, by dad, by the media, by the TV, by the past experiences, by the past failures. These are microchips installed in us, and that's what governs us. To a large degree, in fact, for the most part, most people are controlled. Their heart is controlled, or their brain is controlled. Their thoughts are controlled, and their feelings are controlled by the matrix of this world. One of the most sinister parts of this matrix, behind the whole thing, is the God of this age, the principality and power of this air, the one who has control of the entire world, 1 John 5, 19. And one of the most sinister things about this is that uh, uh, what's installed in us is, is the lie that whereby we represent the good as though it was evil and the evil as though it was good. The brain has deceptive messages about what, uh, what is good and what is evil. Our feelings just operate according how to how God designs them. We feel an emotional pull towards what we represent as good, an emotional pull away from what is bad. The problem is not with the feelings. The problem is what was going on in our head that's evoking the feelings. I've used this analogy before, but I want to use it again because it makes the point so, so well. Beginning at about the age of 11, when I first found my dad's stash of porn, uh, I went through a process of, of eight years where I was systematically conditioned, programmed, had microchips installed in my brain where that depicted pornography as a good thing. You know, biologically, I'm wired to say that it's a good thing, but now there's all sorts of meaning that gets wrapped up. It It gets associated with pleasure. It gets associated with masculinity. It gets associated with the, the, the message that this is the best that life has to offer, and, and that gets anchored there, vividly anchored there. And the triggers are all around me. Any kind of sexual urge just triggers that, that response in my brain. I'm seeing it as a positive thing. Any 13-year-old kid who's looking at a nude would, in terms of biology, see it as a positive thing. Now, I learned at the age of 17 that it's a negative thing. It's a bad thing. It's a sin thing. It's, it's not a good thing. I have the information. But inside, I'm still representing it as good. 
So, of course, there is a strong emotional pull towards it. And I could temporarily, as an act of will, say no to that. Uh, And that's a good thing to say no to, even if you're feeling a, 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 a pull towards it. But that's not freedom. That's not transformation. Transformation happens when you no longer have the pull towards it. You see what I'm saying? But as long as I'm representing it as a good thing in my brain, of course there's a pull towards it. This is why a lot of Christians have this idea, and a lot of non-Christians have this idea, that discipleship is about, um, you know, here's the cookie jar, and you want so badly to grab the cookies, but God says no. And they're delicious cookies, they're wonderful cookies, they're good cookies, they're tasty cookies, but you can't get the cookies because God says no. He's such a meanie. You, you, you want to do it, but you can't, and so it's just a matter of willpower. But you see, here's the thing. The Bible says that the heart is the wellspring of life. All right? I mean, what it means by that is here's the origin of, of our... Out of, out of the, your thoughts and feelings comes all your actions, all your interactions with life. You're wired, you're wired to have a natural inclination to act out those feelings. And so it's just a matter of resisting them, but it's usually, in the long haul, quite futile. Uh, until the inside, until the wellspring gets depolluted, you're going to be inclined towards polluting sorts of things. Uh, to use another analogy, that, that woman that I talked about earlier who was uh, uh, having uh, this pull out of her marriage towards this other man. What was going on there was this. She had internalized, as an increasing number of people in this culture do, marriage has taken a bad rap and installing microchips in people's brain where the meaning of marriage is sheer commitment, boring, uh, you know, fighting, uh, you know, it's just not, not fun. And, and so when she gets, while she's courting the guy, the meaning of courting, the, the, the pictures, the representations of courting a person are about it being fun and exciting and new and discovery and life and all that stuff. So as long as she's in that uh, mode, the triggers are firing very well. But then she gets married, and boom, now there's a new neural net going on. And her all emotions are response to what's going on in the head. And what's going on in her head is, oh, I've just entered prison. I now I'm just involved in this duty. The fun is over with. So of course that's what she feels. Uh, she has got a, a lying, deceptive, concrete representation about marriage. On the other hand, with this guy, the, the new guy, now all those neural nets about courting and, and the chase and the discovery and the passion and the fun, those are kicking into gear. So she tells me, I feel so fully alive. I've never felt so in love. This is what I've always dreamed of. And she's being honest. That's how she feels. The problem is not with her feelings so much. You just can't say, oh, you ought not to feel that. Her feelings are just responding to the way she's portraying things in her brain. The brain doesn't itself know intuitively what is actually good and what is actually evil. It just goes according to its programming, and most of the programming in our brain has come from the matrix, which leads to the fifth point, and really the most important point, and that's this. We, have, we are designed... We are designed to program our own brain in obedience to Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, In God's design, this brain is our computer, and our job is to program it. Now, if we hadn't fallen, then everything around us would reinforce that programming, but it's a fallen world. Our responsibility is to ourselves program this computer in line with God's truth. That's why the Bible says, you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's, now, God will help you. God, the Holy Spirit is in there moving you and equipping you, but you have to take responsibility for, what, for the chemical reactions in your brain. It's your computer. Uh, you take every thought captive. That's part of our job. It's our, the primary act of discipleship. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is beautiful, dwell on, live in that world, live in those thoughts. That's our job to do that. 
We're wired to take every thought captive to Christ, to program our own brain. The main job of discipleship, I'm so convinced, this is why we go over this and over this, the main job is to, is to get out the way that we represent the world to agree with the way God knows the world actually is. When we, when we, to learn how to see as God sees. To learn how to have faith in, in what God sees. Because when we see what God sees, eventually we begin to feel as God feels. And now we're becoming godly. Change the representations to agree with God. Uh, in my experience uh, early in life with pornography, it was like this. As long as I'm portraying it as a positive thing, uh, all the biological, emotional, psychological, and spiritual stuff is leading me to it. What God needed to do was to show me, to, to represent it concretely as the negative thing that it is. To get the way I actually do the world in my head to line up with the information that I know. And so it kind of looked like this. It's a little bit graphic, but, but it gets the point across. And it's a good strategy that I'd recommend to anybody who struggles with pornography. As long as you're portraying it as a good thing, then you're going to be drawn towards that. And it's a sheer act of willpower that keeps you from it. But freedom is no longer desiring it. The way I saw it was this. I had a, a, a picture of a centerfold uh, in my mind. Um, there, there it was. Left alone, that would have been something that everything about me says, oh, I must gravitate towards that. But now I want to know, how does God see this? And God gave me a way to interpret the way he sees it. To make it as evil and as ugly and as putrid as, in fact, it really is. So in the centerfold, I now saw as being filled with manure. This woman has manure all over her. Diarrhea, I'm talking about. Nasty stuff. Uh, and, and, and she had vomit all over her. Uh, fungus and pus all over her. Worms and maggots. It was putrid. It was vile. It was slimy. It was gross. Her tongue would come out and like, like a snake. And go, like that, representing that, that it's, you know, there's a demonic force to this whole thing. And to top it off, in the background, I heard, because how we do, we, we do the world by replicating all five senses in our head. I heard uh, a little girl screaming in the background because uh, it was telling me that the same empire that encourages this encourages that. The same empire that is involved in adult pornography is involved in child pornography and child uh, kidnappings and, and the internet porn uh, with children and child prostitution and all of that. And you know what? As I'm seeing this concretely, I'm not so turned on anymore, you know, uh, to say the least. It's like now there's a revulsion that is there. It's like, yuck! That is what is really going on with pornography. The devil portrays it as a wonderful, good, positive, you know, fun, uh, fulfilling, pleasurable thing. But see, when you see as God sees, you begin to feel as God feels, and yuck, I don't want that. It's about taking thoughts captive to Jesus Christ. The whole job of discipleship is to take what God defines as good and see it in your head over and over again as really, really, really good. And to take the evil that God says is evil and, and to portray it in our head as really, really, really evil. Because as that happens, our emotions and our, our wiring you know, goes and, and, and follows suit. It just uh, follows suit. Who wants that? Yuck! You see, and now there's freedom. Now there's freedom. Now, you don't want to do that if you're married with all sexuality. There's a context in which you want to make it really, really, really good. <laughs> all right, amen? Uh, and, and, but save it for that. That's really, really, really good. This is really, really, really bad. Have positive emotions towards this, being drawn towards this. Have negative emotions towards that to pull back. We can't control our emotions directly. Once you're in them, you can't just turn them off. But what you can control are the thoughts that, the, uh, that all emotions are a response to. With this young lady that I talked about earlier, who had this overwhelming falling in love, I can't help myself, I've never felt so alive, attraction towards a guy who wasn't her husband. How, how, how do you help her change? Well, here's the thing. 
She, she, it's all about what's going on in her head. Anybody who saw what she saw when she thought about her marriage would want out. And everybody, anyone who saw in, her, in their head what she's seeing in her head would want to be with that guy. The feelings aren't the problem. The problem is what she's seeing in her head. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? The evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's the substance of things hoped for, the concrete representations we have in our head, and the, and the conviction, it says, that comes from those concrete representations, the conviction that this is what, what, what is true. Her faith, because of diabolical microchips in her head, her faith about her marriage is that it would always be flat, it would always be a prison, it would always be boring, they'll never connect, they'll never, you know, fall deeply in love. That was her faith, and that is, in fact, what she got. According to your faith, be it unto you. And anybody who saw that would feel about the, her marriage the way she did. And her faith towards this guy was all positive. Oh, they're going to live happily ever after. The dream comes true. This is the incarnation of every romance novel she's ever read. Uh, it'll be, you know, just wonderful. Now, that needs to change. If her feelings are going to change, that needs to change. And so she needed to, and she did, start having faith about her marriage. What would that marriage look like if God got around it? You know, the, the truth is this. Get, marriage is one of God's greatest ideas, and it can be fun. Yes, it's challenging, but God uses the challenging times to grow us, to refine us. But there can be a depth of love and a, a profoundness of experience that happens in a marriage context that your little chase endeavor over here, that new hormonal surge you're getting, never even comes close to. So frame marriage is a good thing. Uh, run previews of it. Run videos of it uh, as, as being the, the wonderful thing that God knows it can be. And that creates an emotion to want to see that happen, which is what then invests you in the marriage. And with regard to this other guy, you know, wake up here. You're being deluded about a lie about the happily ever after there. 95% of marriages that start in an affair end in divorce. You know that? And every, every one of them believes that they'll be the 5% that actually makes it. It just doesn't happen. We'll run a movie of that. You know, guaranteed, you, you marry this guy, and within three weeks, you're going to be feeling the exact same thing as, as, as when you married this other guy, because the meaning of marriage for you is boring and dull and whatever, though you don't know that. Uh, uh, run, run negative movies about this. This guy has the same problems every other guy has. He's not going to put the toilet seat down. It, it, it's, it's not going to be happy ever after. You know, see it as God sees it. Let God give you a representation about how vile it really is. As the pictures in the head, the words in the head, the senses in the head change, our emotions change. You can't change them directly, but we can change them indirectly by changing the thoughts that are in our head. The job of life is to get our minds to line up with what God says is true. Concretely, vividly, the previews we run, the movies we run, the daydreams we have, that is the wellspring of life. It brings forth emotions that brings forth uh, the activity that we engage in. So let me ask you this question. What do you feel? What do you feel? What do you feel? Uh, in, in general, what do you feel? Um, I, I imagine, I know in fact, that many of us here, maybe all of us to some degree if we're really honest, have this sort, of, uh, uh, this sort of thing going on where there's something in our life that we know that God wants to change or something perhaps that you have that, that you know God doesn't want you to have. Maybe a relationship that you know very well you should not be involved in. Or maybe activity in the relationship you know you shouldn't be involved in. You want it. You can't just stop wanting it. When you want it, you want it. You just can't. Like Mark said, go stop wanting it. But do you want to not want it? And if you want to not want it, the thing to shoot after is not your want of it. The thing to shoot after is the way you're framing it that makes you want it. 
And so ask God to give you a, 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 a representation of this in terms of how he sees it. I, I know this. If you're attracted to it, it's because you're framing it as a good thing when God says it's a bad thing. Those cookies you want so bad, they got cyanide in them. If you can just picture them with cyanide, you're not going to crave them. That analogy was a stretch, but maybe it'll work. Um, <laughs> So frame it, and as you, as you see what God sees, then you begin to feel what God feels, and now you're empowered to walk away from it. You still have a choice to make. You know, I, I, I still have to choose to see pornography the way God sees it. When I walk into an airport or something, I've got to make a decision. You know, do I want to indulge the flesh, or do I want to see it the way God sees it? The minute I can if I choose to see it as God sees it, boom, the attraction's gone. You see, it's just like, no, yeah, yeah. You know, but that, that's the choice. Depict it as God sees it and your emotions will change. Some here, I bet, are feeling, let's just say, anxious. You're, you're kind of nervous. There's something, you know, maybe you don't even know why, but uh, there's anxiety. You're, you're worrying a lot. And what I know is every emotion is a response not to what's out there, but a response to what's in here. And what I know about worry is this. It's always the natural, inevitable emotion that you experience when you're running movies in your head about the future that involve a worst-case scenario. You're running previews of, of, of the future that involve pain, that involve rejection, uh, you know, that, that, that where worst-case scenarios come out. And what worry is about is saying, why wait till they actually happen to feel the pain? Let's start enjoying it now. So you're living in a, in, in a worst-case future scenario. That's what worry is, is all about. I invite you, I invite you to take that emotion. Here's what it is to be a detective of your brain. Here's what it is to watch your heart vigilantly to govern your heart. Take that emotion and trace it back. See, the, the, the pictures happen too fast for us to consciously notice, but we always feel the emotion. The way to get to the picture or the word, whatever it is that's activating the emotion, is to take the emotion and, like a detective, trace it back. What are you seeing? What, what, are, you, what are you rehearsing in your head that's producing this emotion? And then I invite you to change it. Invite God into your future. Uh, your future, find a way of representing this concretely. Uh, make it vivid. Uh, God is, God, God's going to be in your future the same way he's in your present. Here's what the Lord tells you. That whatever happens to you, however bad it may be, he'll find a way to work it for your advantage. In all things, God's working together for the better for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Don't be running this godless, worst-case scenario, futures thing out there. Be running a God-filled future thing out there. And then watch how your emotions begin to change as you learn to trust God in that whole thing. You know that God will never leave you or forsake you, there's a peace. As you concretely represent it, there's a peace that begins to, to, to be ministered to you. You can't just stop worrying. As long as you're running that movie, you're going to worry. All you can do is pretend like you're not worrying when you really are. But we want to change the emotion. You change the emotion by changing the representation in the head that's causing the emotion. And then there are some here, maybe a, a lot, who feel more or less numb. Maybe numb towards your spouse, maybe numb towards life, maybe numb towards God. You just don't feel much of anything. That also is a response to what's going on or what's not going on in your head. All emotions are simply those chemical firings that are the emotional side of a thought. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? What are you seeing in your head? Um, what I know is this. If you could vividly, uh, vividly in full color with sound see and hear and sense the beauty of the Lord, it would move you. It would move you. 
uh, it would, uh, it, it, would it, it now gets into the wellspring of your life. It begins to transform you. So I encourage you to think, to, to, to make the thoughts of Jesus as beautiful as you can make them. And think about it. Daydream about Jesus. Daydream about Jesus. Run, run VH1 movies about you and Jesus together. Uh, and, and, and just enter into that concretely. Because that begins to affect you. It can't help but affect you. And when you get into worship, I, here's a little teaching on worship. To, to do worship, if you want to be impacted by it, think about what you're singing. See what you're singing. Run your own video of what you're singing. You know, uh, uh, imagine it as we're singing holy, holy, holy. I don't know where you were at, but where I was at, it was, I'm, I'm laying down my golden crown, you know, around the glassy sea, and the seraphim and the cherubim are worshiping the Lord. And I'm seeing his holiness as this beautiful diamond-like emerald city radiance. And, it, you know, couldn't be more glorious. And that's moving me. It's hitting me. I'm wired to have a positive response to that. And now my wellspring is getting depolluted. You see, it's beginning to change me. The issues of life, the wellspring of life, is between the ears. Uh, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? Take charge of that. Guard that. Be vigilant about that. See the good that God says is good as really, really, really good. See the bad. See the bad that God says is bad as really, really, really bad. Amen. Let's stand and pray. I want to ask the prayer team to come forward, and um, uh, I invite you, if you're here this morning and there's any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, maybe it's a mind stronghold kind of a thing, maybe it's an emotion thing. It's so tough when you're in the grips of emotions uh, to, to, to get free of this, and maybe, maybe you just want to come forward and pray that God would help you step out of that to control what is evoking that emotion. Uh, I encourage you to come forward after we're dismissed. If you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you've never made that decision to really have a personal relationship with him, uh, this is what salvation is all about, and discipleship starts with that. Maybe you didn't understand a lot of what I was talking about this morning, and that's fine, but what I want you to know is this. God, Jesus Christ, loves you passionately. Couldn't love you more than he does right now. And he wants so badly to be invited into your life and to begin to change you from the inside out. And if you're here this morning and you're at all curious about that, uh, can I ask you to take a minute or two after the service and come over here to my right. There's a table there and there'll be a man there who has some literature that uh, you'll find helpful and can answer any questions that you have about becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, the, the, the diabolical matrix of this world is just sinister, and it, it just exercises so much control on us through a multitude of different means. But Father, we know the truth, and we want the truth to set us free. I pray, God, Holy Spirit, would you just be a continual, even nagging reminder in our life throughout the day to attend to our thoughts to attend to what we say to ourselves, to attend to how we picture things in our brain. And God, give us the creative, uh, creativity of the Spirit to represent the good as really, really good and the evil as really, really evil, Lord God, and thereby help us to take captive our emotions. So our emotions aren't choosing us, we're choosing our emotions, Lord. We want to serve you in every way. We want your kingdom to be established in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. Help us in that endeavor, Lord, throughout the week. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Spend time getting to know one another, greet one another. God bless you. Go out and be his radical disciples in Jesus' name. Amen.